I would like to argue that it's the one legal drug that's also celebrated in culture and society. Yeah, so I world. call it as a socially acceptable poison. What is a feminine liver versus a masculine liver? A guy develops liver disease with 200 ml of alcohol. Woman can develop the same liver disease with maybe 10 ml of alcohol. What? If you're pregnant with a baby, which is eight nine months inside the stomach, and you have a night of drinking, binge drinking, what happens? Alcohol use in mothers during the second and third trimester can actually promote alcohol use in the baby when they become older. The baby also gets drunk. Of course. Damn. I'm telling you, I have patients who drink 1.5 to two liters a day. They vomit blood. They come with cancers. It's a very messy affair with them. With somebody who has alcohol-related hepatitis, I do something known as stool transplantation. We put a small feeding tube to the small intestine that is after the stomach. We gave these patients the fresh stool sample of healthy people, and 88% of those people survived without a liver transplant. Damn. They say that when you want to actually begin change and get out of an addiction, the easiest way to do it is when a loved one comes and tells you, "Listen, you're doing this too much." and that always happens it's another special with the liver doc it's all about alcohol our first episode was an absolute blockbuster the second one should reach out to an even wider audience because honestly it's a bit of an epidemic this topic this topic is all about drinking it's all about both the biology of alcohol and the liver but also kind of the bro side of it what do i mean by the bro side of it the casual approach to talking about alcohol so whether you're a drinker or not i think it's important to know about this reality of our times and if you're someone who's trying to take a step back from alcohol that's where the bro side of this conversation the casual side of this conversation comes into play uh personally both me and him have been on both ends of the spectrum where we've been heavy drinkers and now we're teetotalers so we spoke about this content from both ends of the spectrum personally i have enjoyed speaking to liver doc this was the first time i met him but this was the one topic that we both decided deserves its own episode enjoy this very special alcohol themed episode of the ranveer show the liver doc is back uh before doing a hey how are you conversation all i want to say is today's conversation is for all you beer drinkers <laughs> all you wine drinkers all you alcohol drinkers <laughs> so over to you let's talk a little bit about alcohol where do you even want to begin i mean i think we can have a whole day and night conversation like we have day and night cricket matches on just alcohol it's such an important and impressive topic that we need to dig in deeper and i'm sure we are going to have a very very interesting conversation on alcohol which you have never heard before yeah uh you know the angle i want to kind of bring forward at the start is uh mental health issues have increased so much and one way to simply bracket the reasoning is that we're in urban jungles today and urban jungles cause their own uh environments to actually affect the human body and mind in my eyes one of the outcomes of urban jungles is drinking culture in cities it's just a part of human culture nowadays yeah. uh in terms of alcohol was invented at some point in the human story and now yeah. it's been there for so long that has become yeah. normalized exactly it's exactly i mean alcohol has been there uh since centuries i mean even in religious scriptures you can actually see 
alcohol has been used as some form of treatment or some form of miracle yeah you know so the whole whole uh, love for alcohol is as old as love for humanity itself yeah uh i do believe that the gift of our times and our times are not good i feel there's more mental health issues than ever people are sadder than ever people are lonelier than ever but the one positive about our times is excess information on the internet yeah so that's how i'm going to treat this episode okay so let's begin a scientific approach on alcohol usage and also a very practical angle on it i'll give a lot of my own experiential inputs uh i think you're also teetotaler i am i am yeah. so uh, there is there is a story behind it which i'm going to get into very very soon uh, i'm a teetotaler at the moment best decision of my life yeah same and uh, i mean we'll be talking of alcohol from a mental health perspective from a disease perspective and everything threaded cleanly with scientific evidence and facts so it's going to be very interesting yeah. but let's begin by our own alcohol stories yes let's have you ever been in a situation with other liver doctors where all of you are drinking together and then looking at each other like hum kya kar rahe hain <laughs> so uh, so i'm i'm going to be very open here it's not like i am a complete teetotaler yeah i used to drink like a fish in college yeah. so much that um at one point i got so drunk and intoxicated <laughs> and vomited so much that my potassium levels fell and i got really sick and got admitted under my own teacher <laughs> in the medical college my assistant professor uh who did not mention alcohol intoxication thanks to him on my file and mm. said uh, infectious diarrhea mm. and gave me fluids and sent me home <laughs> so it's not like i never drank i used to drink maybe up to 2 or 2 and a half years back uh and at the, and my uh, i mean i i think i drank for a lifetime in college so i don't yeah. see anything good coming out of it that's most science students sir we all <laughs> know, we know. all go through that phase yeah so uh, but i'm sure nobody's got admitted under their own professor <laughs> yeah yeah fair so, i wouldn't want to get admitted under my engineering professors <laughs> they would kill me on the operation table hey yeah so that, that so that was done so sure. once i started practicing hepatology and seeing a lot of patients being affected by alcohol mm. uh, i completely quit so now i'm now sure. i'm happy with my non alcoholic ginger ale or non alcoholic beer 0% and it it's good yeah everything is good let's talk about alcohol okay uh I, okay, i'll give you human perspective then you can give me medical perspective yes yes uh i'm at least talking about mumbai youth here because i've grown up in this city okay okay uh i remember having my first night out when i was 17 or 18 um and i got drunk for the first time the first time you get drunk you're studying for one of the most difficult exams in the country so that first night that you get drunk in 12th standard or first year of your college you get a sudden escape as a teenager you're used to a life as a teenager where you're in the middle of stress i know lots of people who've never drank in their life are getting offended by this conversation yeah. i'm a teetotaler like fully now yeah, like yeah. my last Same drink was here. in 2018 but my first drink was in 2010 <laughs> so uh there is that first sense of intoxication you feel on a human level you don't know that your brain and body are capable of feeling this way and that's the charm then it becomes a weekend drinking thing then suddenly those weekend drinking sessions become binge drinking sessions when you're trying to test your own limits which is where situations like yours happen where <laughs> exactly. you're like are you god let's see yeah. what happens yeah. you start experimenting with your own body yeah. as a science and student. and you become the center of the party right yeah. this guy is like drinking like a fish let's see what happens everybody's around you and yeah. you become the centerpiece i i think the uh, joy about 
drinking in that phase is you want to see how people's personalities also change around you when they're drunk ki ye peene ke baad kaise ho jata hai wo peene ke baad kaise because i think whatever is happening inside the person comes out so uh, if the person's in a lot of pain someone will start crying if the person is a very yeah. loving person it will become an i love you bro kind of drunk so there is a joy in that phase but again i'm just relaying my own experience here uh, a lot of people at age 22 or 23 when they're graduating from college are hit by the real world yeah that oh life is not just college and parties and thinking about what you'll do in your career life is actually about doing things in your career yeah. and figuring yeah. what to do in your life yeah and then there's two pathways you can go on one pathway is the self improvement pathway which a lot of young people take nowadays which is that i want to incrementally improve my life so people take up fitness or meditation or all these yeah. Yeah. traditionally yeah. like good habits yeah. you know in order to maximize mm. what they're doing in their career uh another pathway that i've observed at least i can speak for engineers <laughs> and i think even with medicos it's something similar i think we can yes um you find people who get stuck in societal systems so for example a lot of the engineering grads that i knew who took up the standard jobs would really look forward to the weekend and then on friday evening they'd all get together and drink and smoke yeah. Um, okay. and many of them stretch that out into saturday sometimes into sunday yeah and then that sunday becomes life and by age 25 3 years of this process the guys who've gone on the self improvement tangent are really kind of contemplating and thinking about what they're doing with life yeah. and these other guys are so institutionalized in their own system that now drinking is taken for granted yeah. so they become yeah. the people who question the non drinkers in terms of if you say that uh, i'm not uh, drinking yeah. right these guys will be like really <laughs> or kya uh, Yeah, like it'll it'll go on that it'll go yeah. on that tangent, but not a fun person. Yeah. Now I'll talk to a liver transplant physician. Yeah. I remember seeing a photo of a cirrhosis inflicted liver. I think on your profile only. Yeah. Only I, my profile has that. <laughs> by the way. Yeah. My my first thought was how is Twitter allowing this? <laughs> my second thought was thank God I stopped drinking. My third thought was what happens to you when you see that because that. that liver which is cirrhosis affected yeah really makes you question that night in 12th standard or first year <laughs> when you began drinking that that's what is happening in twitter right now you know i'm 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 over that but now people are now getting to understand how uh, you know especially alcohol affects the liver so before i actually go into in deep into alcohol and the liver can i tell you a story about two worms all yours and this is all real yeah. because it makes real good sense so there is this worm Uh, it's a trematode, a kind of worm, uh, which has to, uh, you know, no worms have to. They have to reproduce, and you know, uh, like like you have a life cycle of for every worm. You take a tapeworm, a roundworm. It has a life cycle. So this particular worm, it actually uh, survives inside a snail, and then this and then it lays eggs there. And once the eggs hatch, the larvae comes out. The small, you know, in simple terms of babies, the the larvae comes out. and this larvae has to actually grow into an adult so for it to complete that sequence it has to actually get into a fish because it can only grow inside a bird so it has three hosts so it's a snail a fish and a bird and it completes its adult cycle in the bird so how is it going to get into that bird is the question so what this worm does is that it goes into the water there is a type of fish known as killi fish that's k i l l i killi fish and it goes and attaches itself to the gills of the killi fish 
goes into the brain of the killifish and resides in the brain of the killifish and then puts chemicals into the brain which makes this fish dance in the water you know this fish suddenly goes aggressive jumps out of the water and all that so the bird sees that and the bird eats the fish and this particular worm completes the life cycle in the bird and the fish is dead right now there is another worm known as a hair worm so the hair worm has a different kind of approach it has to be inside the water to actually complete its life cycle but it's actually born on the land now how does it get from land to water uh, i mean i mean we have heard of crickets cricket is i think in hindi it's jingur uh, yeah, yeah that insect yeah i think it's jingur uh, in the cricket in hindi that insect so what it does it the hairworm gets into the cricket and it grows inside the cricket it goes into the brain extends and goes into the brain of the cricket bombards the brain of the i mean the central the nervous system of the cricket with some chemicals so much that this cricket feels like it has to go to places where there is shiny lights so the worm controls the brain of the cricket Damn. and then it just keeps jumping 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 when it goes to the water where there is reflection and it jumps in dies by suicide the cricket actually kills itself and the worm then gets out of the cricket and then completes its lifestyle inside the water now what do these worms do to the brains of the fish and the cricket what it does it it bombards their brains this the nervous system with chemicals that will increase dopamine and reduce another hormone called as serotonin so when the dopamine levels increase they feel kind of completely aggressive the fish and the cricket and that actually leads them to their death now what tell me a compound or a or a molecule or a substance that does this exactly to human brains it's alcohol so what alcohol does is exactly what this worm does to the fish and the cricket i would like to argue that uh, it's the one legal drug that's also celebrated in culture and society yeah so i call it as a socially acceptable poison yeah it is what it is right so alcohol when you drink it when you take your first shot your dopamine levels in the brain go so high and dopamine is a rewarding hormone it rewards you you feel good and then at some point later on you feeling a little bit low mm. you want to reward yourself you take another shot and this keeps like you said two days in a week becomes thrice in a week becomes 10 times in a month and then you are drinking every day mm. and once this becomes chronic and you can't be without alcohol because dopamine has a ceiling effect so it's not like every single time you are okay with 30 ml you have to keep on increasing it so as to get that hit every time and at some point you will reach that ceiling effect of dopamine and dopamine i mean how much ever you drink you will not get that rewarding and at that is the point when serotonin actually goes down very much in your brain and that is when alcohol use disorder patients start drinking so much because they are so sad all the time they are depressed they are anxious because without alcohol their life does not have any meaning and what started off as you taking alcohol will end up with alcohol taking you i've seen uh, in the eight years of content creation alcohol taking away two three top careers this is this is exactly so some people will ask me we are taking alcohol occasionally you are taking occasionally because it's not your decision it's the alcohol making you take it because the first time you took it you had a dopamine kick 
and your brain is telling you you're going to get the dopamine kick again and it's not your decision it's the alcohol making decisions for you even occasionally drinking you know if somebody who's not drank at all does not have to make that decision because their brains are virgin brains mm. and they don't have that dopamine kick coming in mm. uh there are other factors also that can give you a dopamine kick a cold shower a hot shower can also give you a dopamine kick but not as rewarding as alcohol yeah. because this this is a fact so people ask me we are drinking just maybe once in a week but you are drinking once in a week every week mm. whose decision is that it's alcohol making decisions for you so you are actually not making a decision which makes makes your brain zombified taken over by a parasite like the worm which is alcohol yeah. alcohol is a parasite this hmm. worm story is what i tell my patients and they understand that because they understand that they have to get their lives back you know you have to be in charge not the alcohol which if you are not in charge you are the weak person hmm. a strong person does not want alcohol yeah um the obvious question here and i'm only asking you this from an audience perspective this is not my question at all but the obvious question here is how much alcohol is allowed like i'll, I'll tell you why it's not my question because uh, i remember giving it up in 2018 um and the further you get away from that point of giving it up your craving for it fully dies and um, i've taken a sip of alcohol once in a while here and there it feels like that same sip you took maybe in your childhood just to taste alcohol and you're like yuck what is this that feeling comes back exactly uh, where you're like shit i don't want to put this in my system yeah um i remember i think once after 2018 i tried having was i was in europe somewhere and i tried mm. having they have this very common drink called aperol spritz and everyone uh-huh. was having it right, right, yeah. so i thought i'll have one glass of aperol spritz um personally for me i felt very negative this is just my subjective yeah. experience and i realized that yaar these years of not having alcohol in my system it changed things in me and i like this person have become more energetic etc but that's my own subjective experience yeah. now and i mean i think it's it's a common story for a lot i mean even i when i take alcohol now i get I I don't get that good feeling that I'm taking something that I I want or I need which is different from how we were in college yeah, exactly <laughs> college life was different <laughs> yeah there are a lot of people to impress out there also old monk and all these things tasted amazing yeah, in college you exactly. would be like ah ha, ha, ha. It, it doesn't taste the same when you're older <laughs> exactly so uh, the question of how much of alcohol so I I think this question is uh, important because people when when I say alcohol everybody will just think about liver right and it's not just the liver you know alcohol is a systemic poison which means it can affect your hair to toe and the most important aspect is that it can affect every organ system in your body so don't look at it as you know the old dictum whatever people used to think was that you know you have to be a chronic alcohol user you have to drink like every day for 10 years only then you do you'll get damaged that is how it is so i'm not going to drink like that i'm going to take a few alcohol Uh, shots every week so i'm okay so that is that 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 myth is now busted it's not there anymore because the safest level of alcohol for human health is zero mm. and studies have proved this so we have two studies which i'm going to talk about in in depth because this one of the studies which actually gave us this impression that a little bit of alcohol is good for you because it's good for the heart was actually from 1920 done by a biologist and a statistician who actually did not look at lot of factors around consuming alcohol so he did the study and said that you know low doses of alcohol is better than high doses or no alcohol better than no alcohol yes that is where the problem comes so high okay fine but 
low dose of alcohol is better than no alcohol is what he proved in that study and that was an observational study on a small group of people statistically proven so people started looking at it so, so the whole narrative was that why is why is everybody's health improving with low dose of alcohol and ultimately researchers found out that it is because of its impact on the heart on the heart system alcohol has some health promoting effect which is why people with heart, people are developing lesser heart disease and surviving more with lesser alcohol why do you think that is that is actually wrong you know why because when people started looking more in depth into people with lesser heart disease who are on a lower dose of alcohol they found out that it was not the alcohol but it was actually their lifestyle so the people who are consuming lesser amount of alcohol were actually exercising better their dietary patterns were better their overall sleep was better they were not obese they had no other major metabolic illnesses all of this were much better so when they took out alcohol separately from that group and put it in a group which had you know none of these you know they they were not sleeping well they were not uh, exercising well and all that alcohol actually worsened their outcomes and also when they put it back alcohol back into people who were uh, not exercising without diabetes and all it showed that independently alcohol did not improve their heart health it actually worsened it which is why the world federation world heart federation currently says that in their updated statement no amount of alcohol is safe for your heart yeah. even they say it so it was based on a misinterpreted misunderstood study from 1920 mm. so the whole aspect of alcohol is good for your heart little bit of alcohol is good for your heart is out of the window now comes you know we can have occasionally what's the big deal right so that was like low to modest consumption which is somewhere around you know less than uh, 14 drinks in women and less than 21 drinks standard drinks one unit is 10 grams of pure alcohol that is ethanol uh, in men so what is the problem with that it does not affect the heart or nor the liver but now we have understood that it's not just about the heart or the liver any amount of alcohol even in the lowest doses can reduce your brain volume it can reduce the amount of gray matter it can it can it can increase your risk even with the lowest dose of alcohol your risk for 21 types of cancer increases drastically most importantly colon cancer rectal cancer in men breast cancer in women just exposure is enough you don't need to drink daily just an exposure to alcohol increase the risk of breast cancer and colon cancer in men drastically exposure is like once a month one drink is one enough one drink ever yeah because the most important aspect of alcohol is that it is a carcinogen carcinogen means once your alcohol is inside your body your liver is the one which has to take care of it so the liver tries frantically to put it out of the body if you are keeping on drinking or taking occasional doses in proper regular intervals what happens is that the alcohol that is been metabolized into its parts in the body that is acetaldehyde and all that acetic acid and all that that actually damages the dna so it's a dna damaging substance alcohol what does that mean damages the dna means means that it changes your cell structure and makes it more susceptible to become cancerous so that is what is known as a carcinogen so alcohol is a number one carcinogen in the world so everybody who is consuming alcohol is increasing the risk of developing cancers later in life if they are consuming alcohol in young the chance of developing cancers when they are adolescent or early adulthood is also very high which is why now i am seeing a lot of young men with liver cancers you know and this worsens if you have additional risk factors for example imagine that somebody is overweight or obese somebody has diabetes who is 30 years of age or 35 years of age not not exercising well physically not active sedentary life 
family history of diabetes and all that and they are consuming even occasional alcohol they are developing liver cancers so i am transplanting uh, liver cancer patients at the age of 35 years and 40 years which previously used to happen in the 5th and 6th decade now young people are getting transplanted for liver cancers because they consume occasional alcohol so the whole idea of little amount of alcohol is safe is now out of the window no amount of alcohol is safe because it's not just a liver poison it is a systemic poison and the most important aspect of it is that it is a major carcinogen which damages your dna and causes promotes the development of at least seven cancers that we know but risk increases risk of at least 21 cancers yeah uh, you know there are lots of people watching this clip or this podcast thinking that hmm but i still enjoy my weekends a lot <laughs> so wh- what do you say that my my response is that i think you should let experience dictate a lot of your opinions and even if you go off it for 3 months you'll see a certain difference in your relationship with the substance and i've had trouble with substance abuse in my college uh would you say something similar like there's people who are sitting stiff on their point of view when it comes to alcohol right now another mm-hmm. argument that perhaps they could make is but then what's the point of life anyway if you can't have any fun so my answer to that is very simple so we speak from evidence and statistics right so if somebody is consuming alcohol once a weekend i mean every weekend then your chances of developing cancers is once a weekend <laughs> your chances of reducing your brain volume is once a weekend and your chances of developing or your increased risk of 21 other types of cancers is once a weekend i mean if you are okay with that please do because you are contributing to the patient community you know you are contributing yourself to the medical community it's people like you who are giving money away to hospitals we are telling you not to become a patient mm. right so i think here again prevention is better than cure comes because now we know that there is no safe level of alcohol fun always has a price attached to it of course i mean you can have good i mean i enjoy my weekends i enjoy my time with my uh, colleagues and peers without alcohol i mean it's it's the way you look at it yeah. you know you can have an alcohol free life and still have a very good life yeah 100% yes um i dislike kind of living in the neighborhood okay uh because there's way too many media people okay and the conversations are kind of an echo chamber about media about looks oh etc okay, okay. but there's certain aspects i love about it also which is that everyone's very fitness conscious so i have a football group uh where we play you know every week uh there's girls and guys and everyone plays intensely and the conversations are always it's about all the media stuff like oh my dermat and my <laughs> uh, clothes and all but the conversations also go into health a lot so i got one of my engineering college bros who drinks a lot plays football well but drinks a lot okay. he's fit he looks very fit okay Uh, and i made him play with us and his first observation was dude this is a, such a saaf sutra group like a very clean group say <laughs> so why do you say that he's like no one drinks here <laughs> and i realized oh yeah it's because all these people are so concerned with health and looking great that right. they don't touch alcohol because i i think that makes sense because alcohol also increases your biological age yeah it, I, it I makes think, you age faster yeah yeah when you're a teetotaler you look younger longer yeah. 100% it, there is proof from animal studies and human studies that alcohol makes you age faster yeah, yeah. Uh, the the good thing about my football group is everyone sleeps on time like, everyone's too concerned about the way they look because it's all on screen <laughs> stuff there's right. models there's right, actors right. right right so uh they're a little eccentric everyone <laughs> in the group is eccentric yeah. but they all look like a million bucks <laughs> that's what uh, i will say and alcohol free 
and alcohol free yeah. and and honestly we sleep on time uh, we get very tired by the end of our football games yeah. so you know that uh, it, all in all i actually have found more joy in playing sports and alcohol it's a very nerdy <laughs> thing to say yeah so i had this person comment under see i put up a lot of these videos and pictures of alcohol users and their livers uh, quite frantically violent pictures and a yeah. lot of people can digest that so uh, and i've had messages under those posts saying that you know because of these so i am putting a visual to what is really happening to the liver with alcohol and and it's a fact and these are livers of my patient with their consent of course that i have shown that is a liver that has come out and the good liver has gone in i mean when i do that there was a comment under which exactly said this i quit alcohol and now i have i mean a, a, a person coming under my post saying that he quit alcohol and he started getting interest more in sports mm. so now he has more time for sports and more time for other activities which he could not or thought he could not do before after he quit alcohol yeah i think when you use your physical body to engage in movement and the more intense the movement is the better the better uh, it's very primal and at least i have observed this that as i aged i'm looking for these more primal things for example we were talking about hunter gatherer societies yeah, yeah. going out in nature what is the concept of a forest bath as people call it right it's possibly just higher oxygen levels out in forests it's different air than you breathe in the city yeah uh, that is you, definitely true you yeah. using your lung capacity and all that for right. breathing during sports right. you are definitely oxygenating your blood more and the feeling you're left with is a sharper and more sustainable high than the high you get from chilling in a bar <laughs> etc it's true it's true um but i i guess just narratives like that need to be more out there because yeah. i remember even when i was in college uh i was the guy who made people drink and all that and my yeah. argument used to be that dude what are you going to do in your professional life when your boss tells you to drink but the world is changing now the world is very different than it was when i was exactly. in college exactly yeah so i sense I, i was the person who people got drunk so <laughs> <laughs> we would have been friends sir <laughs> so uh yeah you seem like one of my targets you know like good good student i want to mess him up a little bit <laughs> but now we are on the same board so yeah. it's fine yeah uh i mean my point is just that um at least with gen z's i work with a lot of gen z's i don't see too many gen z's inclined towards drinking the way people my age used to be inclined yeah. towards drinking yeah. it's yeah. there but it's there and uh, i mean if you want me to speak on that specifically from statistics point of view it's actually increasing you oh, know really we are getting more younger people drinking rather than it was before the age group has slightly changed and something that is very different across the globe especially in the us and uk uh, in the european uh, countries is that uh, more women are drinking now so when i put up the pictures of a cirrhosis liver from an alcohol uh, user alcohol use disorder patient i got at least 8 or 10 direct messages from husbands asking me how to make their wives quit alcohol i was so surprised i mean i i mean in kerala i don't see many um, women with alcohol use disorders and liver disease probably because they i mean they don't come out in the open and talk about it um but i used to see them in the, in north india uh, a lot of them were from uh, you know wives from from the army 
and i used to be used to treat them also for alcohol use disorder and alcohol related liver disease i mean i mean uh, not to be misunderstanding regarding army wives but uh, we have had a lot more women coming out and getting treated for alcohol use disorder in north india in because you you're sharing your observation here so yeah it's just an observation uh, but now i'm seeing that from across the globe so these the people who message me they are from all over india i know it's not just kerala and it's from karnataka it's from uh, up from uh, mumbai from delhi they ask me how to get their wives off alcohol and the husbands are teetotalers <laughs> they wow. don't drink and uh, i mean i tell them because uh, to get somebody off alcohol the first important aspect is that the person should realize that have should have that insight that alcohol is not good for you and there is a limit to you throwing away the life and you need help so it's uh, i i don't blame anybody so the first thing is that when you have an alcohol use disorder patient we don't victimize them a lot of doctors do this a lot of doctors blame them saying that you know it's your problem you are drinking and you made your liver like this what do you want me to do you need a transplant you know they just shoo them off that way very bad it's it's the worst thing to do to a patient alcohol use disorder is a disease it's nobody's option it's nobody's choice there are a lot of factors that come into it if you have a family history of alcohol use disorder the children are at high risk of getting developing alcohol use disorder if the parents drink especially if the uh, father drinks or has alcohol use disorder in the family the sons have a higher risk of developing alcohol use disorder same with the mother and uh, the girl child so all of these factors matter and there are certain genes in your body that predispose you to developing alcohol use disorder in the future so if the right environment comes in and then the genes get triggered and you develop alcohol use disorder so all of this matter so it's nobody's choice to become an alcohol user in the future it's a disease there's a single addictive personality disorder in psychology as far as i understand it i think it's related to how your dopamine gets altered because of substances yes so uh, it's it's two ways so one is that somebody has a mental health disorder and then starts off with alcohol because of financial stress or or work stress whatever and then somebody actually has alcohol use disorder and then develops all of these uh, other mental health disorders because of alcohol mm. so it's both ways okay. so you cannot say that somebody who is already using alcohol or has an alcohol disorder is actually a mentally ill person no mm. i mean it, it 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 cannot be that way alcohol use disorder itself is a mental health disorder and the the way you have to treat them is to ensure that you keep that compassionate note alive also while providing them the care that they need and it has to be a psychology and a psychiatry related management along with a specialist like a hepatologist because lot of in india if somebody says that you know you have to meet a psychiatrist they think they're crazy you know i am not crazy you know i don't have uh, i don't have a family history of men- mental illness i am not mentally ill why do you want me to meet a psychiatrist is the first question because it's like a stigma mm. so here it's important for them to understand that it is not you as a problem it is the disease which is a problem and we need to cure this or we need to take care of it using the help of a psychiatrist so this way if the conversations are molded we'll have a much better attempt at improving patients life with alcohol use disorders which a lot of doctors don't do it i see many patients getting completely stigmatized by doctors i have had wives of patients come and cry to me because the previous doctor who sh- to, uh, who was seeing them were so rude and so inhuman in approaching the wife and the husband saying so much that the wife is responsible for the husband's drinking because your family life is bad he started drinking what do you want me to do this is not the way you have to speak to them 
the poor lady i mean i lost that patient about a year and a half ago uh, he died of liver cancer he was an advanced liver disease alcohol use disorder with advanced liver disease and cancer we tried a lot to get him uh, to get better but uh, i mean we did not have the time for him to get a transplant done so he he died on the list and the and after 3 months or 4 months of his death uh, his wife came and uh, sat in my op and i was thinking why is she here because you know he's already uh, dead and gone uh, but she came to thank me because not for a moment i victimized him neither i blamed her during our sessions on treatment during treatment and she was so happy i was so satisfied because even though she lost her husband the last few months he actually uh, he actually felt that somebody was caring for him you know not some doctor sitting there and judging him yeah it's probably an underrated medical skill hugely it's not taught in colleges i think this is what people need to learn in colleges how can you teach this you can't um, teach this i see, don't it's, i i think there is a way to teach it if the teachers the doctors i mean if i teach my students in dmb about how to approach patients about patient skills and patient communications from my own experience so if somebody is already doing it it's easy for them to teach you know you can have a special module for this i think like when you speak empathetically it's actually your mother you have to thank you know like a lot of people's parents actually teach them to talk with compassion and, and empathy and my teachers also so my professors in masters degree in md and my professor uh in dm uh, professor shiv sarin was my i mean he was he, he's my uh, i mean he was my professor in uh, hepatology when I mean, the way they talk to their patients calm comforting i mean sitting in front of them uh, 90% of their uh, symptoms and uh, problems are gone because they are they become like a sanctuary so a lot of patients when they sit in front of the i mean i, I have a seat here and the patients sit on the side they are so stressed and tensed but if you are a good doctor empathetic and compassionate in the way you communicate you can see that the patients are so relaxed it feels like they are inside a sanctuary a sanctuary is where you feel you protected and that is exactly how an opd should be it should be a sanctuary instead of a judgment unit you know in our practice across the country pr- prominent doctors predominantly treat patients as commodities and especially when it comes to alcohol use disorders alcohol related liver disease lot of stigmatization happening lot of judgments happening from the doctor side and i think they should just stop all of that i got to ask you about this one person you were speaking about where the wife came after his passing away and but it's not just him okay so you said that there's a long wait list of people waiting for liver transplants and it doesn't end up happening and you're effectively treating someone who is actively dying typically i mean going to die going to die uh maybe i have a slight philosophical question for you because as a liver physician uh you're seeing these men and women who have drank so much in their life and now are starting to realize their mistakes on some deep level to i'm mm-hmm. sure they realize their mistakes yeah. even if they're not admitting it openly yeah. that you know i shouldn't have had that much fun when i was younger yeah. i could have easily stopped myself because mm. i've been through phases of drinking a lot and there is that voice sometimes in your head that tells you that listen it's getting too much uh they say that when you want to actually begin change and get out of an addiction the easiest way to do it is when a loved one comes and tells you listen you're doing this too much and that always happens yeah so when a loved one like a close friend or a relative comes and tells you listen this is too much that's your big wake up call ideally before that you should have that internal everyone has an internal voice mm. should listen to the internal voice mm. so my question to you is when you see these people who now are living in that slight state of regret 
two things one how do they look physically like do they look like they're going to be on a deathbed soon mm-hmm. and two you meet different kinds of people as a doctor mm-hmm. everyone has a different kind of energy they speak with yeah, and yeah. you know a vibe yeah what is their vibe like do they are they angry are they like like what has led them to that um so the look of these patients is same throughout i mean they look like they have advanced liver disease which means uh physically they are emaciated they have very poor muscle mass they have a hollowed look they have severe muscle wasting what is muscle wasting muscle wasting means you lose uh, major muscle groups in your body because advanced liver disease patients lose a lot of muscle which is why we give them a high protein diet and all that to improve their muscle mass which actually increases improves their clinical outcomes so they always have this emaciated muscle wasted look hollowed out look but i can see some kind of brightness or uh, like what what i would like to say light at the hope. end of the tunnel hope yeah like some kind of hope when we tell them that you know it's not their fault that they are in that position right now the way they look and how they are now it's not their fault it's because of a disease that overtook them which brings me back to the worm story you know it was alcohol that was doing everything on them and at some point they lost control and they could never get it back but now that they are sick their bodies cannot tolerate alcohol as it was tolerating before they are in front of me with insight that this is what happened now the vibe uh, exactly it's 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 regret differently everyone has regrets because without regret you cannot have a reformation especially when it comes to a disease like alcohol but that regret should be uh, you know it it should be judgment free so that 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 regret that they have is actually bittersweet because i am giving them hope because i am telling them that you know it's not beyond a certain point that you know we can't help you you are still within our care and we can provide you good care and we can increase your survival through whatever ne- ne- means necessary including a, a liver transplantation and that gives them hope that they can have a second chance at life so i'm not it's not always a morbid and a morose conversation that i have with my patients uh, in the icu or in the opd especially advanced critically ill patients critically ill liver disease patients uh, i always make it hopeful because what are we without you know the positivity uh, but then there are conditions where uh, we can't do much for the patient so there are limits to medical science i am not denying it so when medical science stops where medical science stops the limits of it comes there starts compassionate clinical care so somebody says that you know this patient has advanced liver cancer or advanced liver disease which which has involved other organs also and you are not a candidate for liver transplant which means we cannot cure you you are going to die of more complications maybe you have 6 months or 1 year left we don't say that you know we tell them that you have short lives but we are going to make it good for you so that is something known as palliative care or comfort care which is also part of realistic medical care so a lot of these patients one of the reasons why i took up hepatology was that i saw in my masters degree training and during my training in hepatology i saw that there were a lot of patients coming in who were advanced critically ill patients advanced liver disease patients who had nothing left to look forward to you know because they are going to die anyways and doctors were dealing them in the same way like you know you are anyway going to die so why should i spend any more time on you because you're not going to bring me any more uh, revenue 
you know i cannot admit you you are already on comfort care there is nothing that we can do and there are other doctors who would love such patients because they keep admitting them and get money from them and patients are burned out but when you have a compassionate care you can actually provide whatever care is necessary within the hospital premise and whatever care is necessary within their home unit so you have a home based care plus you have a hospital based care so they actually know when to come to hospital and lot of problems can be taken care of at home it financially settles them it gives them satisfaction it gives them that feeling that there is a caring personality who's going to take care of them during the time they are going to die so a little f- question but i'll still ask <laughs> people in that state biological state of their liver being fully wrecked do they still want a drink i can tell you about one person who i mean i i won't call him hopeless but i saw the power alcohol has on brains with that single man so there was this guy who used to drink like a fish for about 8 years he used to drink about you know if i want to classify it in amounts about um 600 to 700 ml per day for 8 years which went to 2 liters a day what i'm telling you i have patients who drink 1.5 to 2 liters a day of alcohol any specific choice of alcohol there it's mostly dark rum in kerala that they drink old monk is very favorite there 2 liters of old monk every day yeah and they vomit blood they come with cancers and they i mean it's a it's it's a very messy affair with them and this guy actually had a huge binge drinking session with his friend uh with his friends and he vomited blood he came to my icu he was in a hepatic or in a liver coma so when patients have advanced liver disease and they bleed they have ammonia generation in their body very high so the blood ammonia the compound ammonia goes very high that affects the brain and they go into brain failure so they most of the time they come unconscious and in a coma so this guy came exactly like that we put him on a ventilator we took care of his bleeding we did an endoscopy which is we pass a tube through the uh, throat into the stomach and clip the places where there is bleeding and control it we did all that and after 2 3 days this guy woke up uh, he was getting better and uh, we saw that his liver functions were very bad so we told him that you know you have to quit drinking and you need a transplant so he said uh, you know uh, i don't want to quit drinking so i told him that you know without quitting if you go and drink again like this you're going to die so the, there is no more chance of you getting up from this uh, coma like the, the next time so ultimately he understood that you know he's going to die and alcohol is not going to go inside him because it's going to kill him so he said okay sir i'll quit and i'm going to go into a transplant so i made the psychiatrist and the psychologist assess him because a lot of these patients who have recently drank alcohol and they go for a liver transplant immediately they go back to drinking after getting a new liver which is a big problem they have a relapse after transplantation so this guy we evaluated him and he said yeah no i quit drinking and psychiatrists and psychologists were very strongly convinced that yeah this guy is going to quit drinking and then they have we have a session together where we me and the psychiatrist we sit together and then really roast him really grill him inside to see what is real need for a transplantation is what why is he going for a transplant so ultimately this guy uh, tells me that he wants a transplant because he wants a new liver which can tolerate alcohol because now he's convinced that the old liver cannot tolerate it and then he was taken off the list deservedly so because we can't put another person's life in danger to give organs to such a person so we said that you know you need to be abstinent 
but then he was so sick that he died within a few months time because he bled again and then he came back with an infection and he died of multiple organ failure but i had a patient like that and he was it was crazy it was just crazy and and i mean i have so much of alcohol stories to say it's i mean it'll blow your mind i had this guy another guy like this who used to drink like 1.5 liters a day and he was just he came to the hospital every time with a bleed he'll pay 1.5 to 2 lakh rupees and then go away and most of that is donated by his family members or some crowdfunding and all that and i told him see this is going too far you have to quit drinking and you have to get into a de addiction program psychiatrist will evaluate you and you can have a very good life because we have no other major complications so i he's he said okay and then he went back and drank again and came back with bleeding again so ultimately i caught him sat him in front of me his wife his two daughters aged 4 and 7 his brothers their wives and he his parent parents had died so he had some two cousin brothers who were elderly cousin brothers so all of them together in the family i gave him the option okay listen now we have come fourth time with the bleed after we have been drinking we have to take a call here you decide whether you want a bottle all your life keeping on looking at the bottom of a bottle all your life or you want to live for these two daughters four and seven he straight away on my face told me i want the bottle but you you could see that the burden from the wife was just she became so light after that because now it was decided he was going to drink and die which he did exactly and 6 months later he was dead the wife and the children felt like they were liberated and she started a tailoring shop uh she is earning well now she is using that money also to teach the children which the money was previously being used for this guy's alcohol use and everything fell in place after his death and i could not even imagine the situation where people were happy losing a member of the family and that is what alcohol did to them i love that we're talking about such extreme cases because honestly this is the trajectory that a lot of young people are on even today um there been stories like the state of bihar apparently was fully ruined because alcohol was introduced in a big way there so a lot of the negative uh stereotypes about bihar now that you know lesser development or began when after independence alcohol was introduced in a big way in bihar this is like one of the conversations that's come up on the show even when we talk about this punjab drug problem and all i actually think that it begins with alcohol you know like there yes, is i mean there is i mean if you look at india the highest alcohol consumption rates are actually in telangana chatisgarh and jharkhand mm. yeah i don't think there's a single drug user in the world there might be a few exceptions but most hard drug users who use heroin and meth must have began somewhere in alcohol alcohol is the first substance i feel like most of them usually have multiple uh, substance abuse you know i mean not just purely drug but definitely tobacco nicotine alcohol they'll all have multiple uh, substance abuse um you know when i quit in 2018 maybe the year prior to that i had switched from drinking hard drinks like rum vodka etc to beer and wine now i'm sure biologically that's not much of a difference yeah, because the, the active thing is still alcohol yeah. uh but what i remember again this is very bro logic here it probably just psychologically gave me that little bit of assistance uh i felt like i was taking one step out of that world of alcohol psychologically this is just what worked for me it may work for some people listening to this and may not my goal was to leave alcohol but not uh, leave it cold 
Okay. Uh, because that might be difficult for some people. It might. Because if you are, if you have alcohol use disorder and severe dependence on alcohol, going cold turkey might actually precipitate a lot of other problems like alcohol withdrawal and alcohol withdrawal seizures and something known as delirium tremens, which is actually a most severe form of alcohol withdrawal, which is life-threatening. And patients can also develop something known as Wernicke's encephalopathy, which means that if you are a chronic alcohol user, your vitamin uh, B1, that is by thiamine, a particular vitamin, B vitamin called thiamine, is depleted in your body. And with that depletion, you get a brain failure. That is known as Wernicke's encephalopathy. And without giving high dose of thiamine, you cannot reverse it. And it's life-threatening. So this dude who was drinking two liters and all, you can't just tell him the next day. No, but... We can't. No, so we can... But then we'll have to give medications that will prevent all of this. So we mm. put them on anti-seizure medications. We'll put them on medications that will help them with their sleep, help them with their thoughts, reduce anxiety, reduce depression. And we do this in a very calculated way, in a way that it does not harm them also. Because not every liver patient can actually take every medicine possible. We have to be very safe. We have to play very safe when it comes to medicating uh, liver disease, advanced liver disease patients. Little non-alcohol related question in this point. Yeah. Do you get a lot of steroid user patients whose livers have been affected? By Actually, the in Kerala, we don't. But in Punjab, my colleagues see a lot of them. A lot. So if you look at uh, acute liver injury, uh, which is off topic from this, what we're talking. Acute liver injury means you have healthy livers and good livers and suddenly it becomes bad. Your liver function becomes bad. A chronic liver injury is because of chronic alcohol use, develops cirrhosis and things like that. So one of the commonest causes for acute liver injury, if you look at Kerala, um, is acute hepatitis A, the viral infection. But in Punjab, uh, my colleagues are seeing injection uh, steroid use, that is anabolic steroid use, which actually causes severe liver injury. But thankfully, fortunately, it is reversible. So when you stop that and provide them supportive care, it reverses. Um, you know, there's something called post-steroid therapy or post-anabolic therapy, basically after your steroid cycle, you're supposed to take a bunch of medicines to reduce the bad effects of steroids. And that's where the expensive steroid use separates itself from cheap steroid use. Okay, I've, I've not heard about this, but I think uh, a lot of people do actually take supplements to reduce side effects of steroids. Yes, it is true. Post-cycle therapy. Okay. And uh, even during your steroid cycle, uh, if you're doing it under the guidance of like a medico and yeah. there are doctors uh, there are doctors yeah, i know about them a lot of them yeah. who safely help you with anabolics yeah. and yeah. not that we're promoting anabolic steroids yeah. no, no absolutely not but anabolic steroids are very bad for the liver yeah. it's it's such a when you know when you boil down that problem of anabolic steroids uh unless you're a competitive bodybuilder and you your profession requires you to take it which yeah. again i'm not fully for but then who am i you know that's yeah. their world yeah uh most people who take anabolic steroids uh in the modern day, don't really need to take anabolic steroids. Hmm. I think there are only three professions where there is sort of a justification, which is bodybuilding, like competitive bodybuilding, yeah. uh, actors and models. Because they're basically saying that all yeah. many of my actor friends like are taking steroids and I okay. see how it affects them psychologically also. Yeah. Um, because it's, it's not something naturally that your body wants. Yeah. Because you have anabolic and catabolic uh, hormones and chemicals and all inside your body but then doing it from an additional point of view just to have that supra physiological mm. effect that's not uh, recommended yeah um i mean no matter what you say or no matter what i say there will still be I people know. who will do steroids there'll still be people drinking on weekends there'll still be people who'll be drinking 
which is why i actually want to have a bit of a bro conversation also yeah. okay like yes you're a doctor but you're also just a normal guy with some normal friends yeah. fair to say yeah yeah uh when my friends and so many of my friends ask me how i quit alcohol because they are in that same boat they my age now they're seeing their body slowing down and they're like dude good you stopped at 25 i am really trying to stop right now but where do i begin my only input to them is do this wine and beer thing i did it worked for me see if it can work for you then slowly reduce to one of them and then slowly cut it off if you don't want to reduce it overnight but your mind should be so strong to do that cut off so that does not actually work uh, with everyone in the real scenario i mean especially the people i i treat so i treat a lot of patients with alcohol use disorder who are with and without liver disease so basically it's not like everybody who drinks alcohol will get a liver disease uh, and it's very important to mention this also it's not uh that everyone who drinks heavily will get alcohol liver disease it is also true that people who occasionally drink get alcohol liver disease and it is also true that uh everybody who drinks alcohol uh excessively may not have any issues at all you know i mean uh that is one of the commonest arguments that uh people bring under my post on alcohol liver disease saying that you know they have had an uncle who was drinking till 90 and he's fine <laughs> and he has no cancer so i'll tell them i had an uncle who did not wear a seat belt and survived a car crash so we don't advise people to not wear seat belts everybody has to wear a seat belt so it's the same with alcohol so it's not because one person escaped it everybody can escape it so we can have liver disease with low dose of alcohol we can have liver disease with high dose of alcohol but we can also have no liver disease even in heavy consumers and that is just because of their genetic profile so there are uh, people who have some special set of genes which protects them from bad effects of alcohol so there is a gene called aldehyde dehydrogenase uh, that gene's name is aldehyde dehydrogenase a mutation or a change in that particular gene in some people protects them from uh, ill effects of alcohol on the liver so that particular gene is very common in the asian population in chinese so initially this particular phenomenon was known as oriental flush syndrome mm, where the face becomes red exactly uh. so if they take little bit of alcohol because alcohol is metabolized so fast in their bodies you get the side effects drastically of that alcohol uh, intoxication with even little bit of alcohol so what can they can't drink more so because they can't drink more the liver is protected so that is one case the other cases they have specific genes which actually protects them from advanced liver developing advanced liver disease in alcohol users but the problem is that we are yet to identify actual liver protecting genes when it comes to substance abuse and like alcohol use disorders because that group is a small group mm. so we can't we can't uh, extrapolate that group and then generalize them to the community they are they are like these uh characters that we see on tv superhumans and all that you know there are no superhumans in real life so you don't you you just don't wear a cape and jump off a building thinking that you know you can fly you don't do that so in, even with alcohol that is the advice so better not to take even though there are people who don't develop advanced liver disease with alcohol this is the scientific version of asians of shit capacities <laughs> you you said that scientific. this is what it is yeah so the term now oriental flush syndrome is now changed because it has a racist feel to it oriental means you know it's only in in asians and also now it's known as alcohol flush syndrome mm. so that name is also changed and this actually protects them which is actually good for them 
they can't drink alcohol do you think there's any truth to this argument about um, if you're in cold weather you can digest alcohol better or you need alcohol in cold weather i, I think these are just anecdotes you know people people will want to make reasons to drink alcohol wherever they are so people in cold countries want to drink alcohol they'll tell people in warm countries that you know cold weather we want to drink more alcohol because this is how it is so i mean i don't think there is any scientific rational because alcohol is alcohol it is ethanol which is metabolized same in all of our bodies including men and women actually women have higher chance of developing liver disease even with the smallest amount of alcohol so they, uh, when it comes to alcohol uh, metabolism it is different in men and women so if imagine a guy develops liver disease with uh, 200 ml of alcohol a woman can develop the same liver disease with maybe 10 ml of alcohol what yeah so the women they digest and metabolize alcohol differently and they get alcohol liver disease and alcohol injury much earlier and more aggressively rapidly than men consuming the same level do you think this is like nature's way of protecting the okay. womb so uh, i i i i i agree to that because alcohol in pregnancy disastrous what happens like if if you're pregnant with a baby which is 8 9 months inside the stomach yeah. and you have a night of drinking binge drinking what happens yeah um so so that is two things so we have trimesters we have first trimester first three months second trimester that is four to six months and then the third trimester that is seven to nine months so alcohol is different in all three trimesters so if you if the first trimester the first three months is when all the organs are developing so if you take alcohol in excess amounts or even occasionally at that time during pregnancy it will affect the development of the baby so babies will come out with developmental abnormalities this is known as fetal alcohol syndrome where they'll have small faces no ears deformed noses you know deformed heart and deformed other organs deformed skeletal system bones and all that and some of those babies don't survive so that is fetal that is a extreme fo- uh, form of alcohol use in i mean alcohol related disease in pregnant women that affects the child now in the second and third trimesters pregnancy is actually a normal state i mean it's a it's a normal physiological state but it is a supra physiological state everything in your body is like 10 times it's like a trailer instead of a movie mm-hmm. right that's how pregnancy is everything is up you know your your blood pressure is up your you know a lot of things change in your body your blood volume is higher the the requirement for your organ systems is much higher so everything is higher so in that sense if you take alcohol in second and third trimester obviously it is going to affect the baby because there is there are studies to show that uh, alcohol use in mothers during the second and third trimester can actually promote alcohol use in the baby when they become older it's like giving a kid a sip of whiskey saying ah oh, it's nice right so they'll they'll also feel that you know because they are also living inside they'll also feel all of that the baby and also gets drunk of course this happens because whatever the mother is doing it affects the baby right and and the most important part is that mothers have a uh, high risk of developing lot of other diseases during alcohol use in in the second and third trimester like high blood pressure which is very life threatening this is a condition known as eclampsia where the blood pressures go high and you can lose the baby you can have an abo- you can have a spontaneous abortion you can have bleeds you can have a lot of problems you can have seizures uh, brain problems everything can happen with alcohol use in pregnancy are there still some women who choose to drink during pregnancy uh there are but i have not seen any woman who has drunk in pregnancy in my entire uh, hepatology career i have not seen it at all now the better part of this i would like to add here is i think it's very interesting uh because you said uh, the female male effect uh one of the reasons i wanted to do 
hepatology is because it's such an interesting topic hepatology because if you look at the liver it is sexually dimorphic meaning the liver works differently in males when compared to females wow so ideally your heart and a woman's heart it, it works the same it pumps it has the same capacity when when it the, the physiological functions are the same but a liver is different so the liver of a man functioning is different from a liver of a woman functioning so much that there was a study from queensland university just published in 2022 i think it was published in this journal called pnas pnas it's a very famous journal i mean it's a very very good good journal uh, proceedings of the national academy of science in the us very interesting i know the name sounds weird <laughs> <laughs> but it's a thumbs up journal uh, pnas so what they showed is that they showed that when the liver is under stress and is getting damaged it changes itself to a feminine version it becomes more female so the the liver has receptors for both male hormones and female hormones so when the liver is getting injured i mean with whatever cause alcohol or um, or fat or viruses the to take care of the damage and to protect itself it becomes more feminine instead of becoming more masculine what is a feminine liver versus a masculine liver yeah so the feminine liver actually has more of receptors and more of metabolic profile metabolism that is very commonly found in women the livers of women so this whole alpha male thing if you actually look at from a science perspective and from a liver point of view to protect itself and to make it stronger the liver the liver actually becomes more female not male so it's an alpha female thing for the liver when it becomes injured you said higher basically met- metabolic function yeah metabolically and functionally physiologically functioning liver becomes more feminine than masculine basically means it works faster it does um, its job faster it's, it's not it's i mean to oversimplify it i would say that uh, it's effect on our the chemicals produced in the body the hormonal uh, functions everything becomes more female that is how the liver functions when it when it becomes stressed and this is very interesting because uh, the female hormone estrogen is the female hormone estrogen and progesterone so estrogen is actually considered a protective hormone it's a protective hormone because it it has good effects on the heart it has good effects on the blood vessels and it has good effects on the liver also so this is very interesting that a masculine liver a male liver becomes more feminine when it becomes under stress mm. with the, the the whole alpha male thing just gets completely disrupted with uh, the liver functioning mm. situation yeah it's I interesting think, i think the uh, narrative is that only your reproductive organs are different in men and women but this is a cool fact we like <laughs> exactly. it's also the liver yeah, which is the liver very is different. different it's very different mm. and it's it functions differently in times of stress also that is the most important part in times of stress you mean when the person drinks alcohol or or, or when the liver is getting damaged and then to oversimplify that to understand a feminine liver versus masculine liver better uh, understand that the effects of alcohol happen faster with women like women need lesser yeah, alcohol yeah. to get more injury the same level of injury as men and to get more drunk yes they get more drunk yeah they get more drunk because faster. their livers are more feminine yeah i love that we brought up hormones here because for me one of the key reasons to stop uh, drinking other than like I, so i stopped drinking for the sake of my yoga like okay, uh, okay. it it helps you focus more in yoga and they tell us that you know if you want to go deeper in this practice mm-hmm, i understand yeah uh, you need higher levels of focus you you need to be practicing every day and then that hangover that i used to have after my saturday night 
uh would definitely reduce my motivation okay now it's later on in life that i found out that it severely affects your testosterone and testosterone is linked to a sense of motivation hmm. uh in terms of how your brain functions etc yeah. now i'm trying to put this into a box of bro logic a little bit here okay uh i noticed that uh i really used to enjoy drinking when i used to drink uh when i was able to withdraw myself from the process of drinking all i needed was a place for all that motivation to go mm-hmm. which is why i chose sports or yoga as okay. a practice okay. regularly you just needed some place for that energy to go okay uh and sticking to my routines of of sports or lifting more weights you know doing more exercise yeah. Yeah. was like a nice crutch for me to hold on to when i got cravings again for alcohol in that phase where i was leaving it okay so even after leaving it sometimes on a saturday night you're thinking that oh shit my uh. friends are out they are drinking what okay. am i doing here but if you have an activity that you're doing you'll be so tired by that point that either you won't go out or you'll go out and something in you just prevents you from picking up that glass of beer because right. my priority was my exercise and my physical fitness right. at that point right. now again i'm just relaying my own experience this is how i was able to leave it okay uh but then i've started reading a lot about testosterone as i turned 30 hmm. and i started noticing that okay my body is working differently now uh in terms of we were talking about how when you turn 30 as a guy and please <laughs> you can tell me if you felt something different hmm. but as you grow older as a guy you'll suddenly have these juncture moments where suddenly you start getting some joint pain or some back okay. issue randomly something that didn't trouble you earlier okay. suddenly starts troubling you did okay. you go through this phase it does yeah, it's something that guys and, notice as they uh, i i think uh, i mean i think everyone notices yeah. some changes in their body and and at, at 30 i was so invested in studying and finishing my my training and course uh, i think these aches and pains were part of it you know we, we used to do 72 hours of uh, duties and things like that so we took it as granted but uh, now i i do believe that yes we do develop these things as we age yeah. um these things that developed like my shoulder trouble and all that it led me to reading a lot about how the process of aging is for a guy that led me to reading about testosterone and the variation of testosterone as you age and obviously it steadily declines like yes, everyone knows this by yes, just watching yeah. sports it's, it's, why do it's why do why do athletes yeah. kind of decline a little bit after 30 yeah it's effectively testosterone that's declining therefore a lot your bone density your muscle yeah, lot mass. of things yeah lot of things that happen physiologically But the fastest way to dip your testosterone is to drink, hundred percent. Because there are studies to show that alcohol use can reduce maleness, including it can affect the sperms. Mm. So the quality of sperms can actually reduce with alcohol use. The male hormones effectively actually reduce with alcohol use, and overall, if you keep consuming alcohol and ultimately develop liver disease. and i said that you know you'll turn feminine that actually happens physically also because if you see chronic liver disease patients ultimately and with alcohol or no alcohol but especially with alcohol uh, related chronic liver disease cirrhosis patients when you see uh, they all come and tell me one major complaint that they have which is that their breasts are enlarging so this is known as gynecomastia mm. and gynecomastia is one of the features seen in advanced liver disease and it's actually seen more with alcohol users that is because their maleness is coming down and they are becoming more feminine mm. and they develop these huge breasts and some of them actually have to go for cosmetic surgery to reduce it becoming more feminine from this gynecomastia perspective is basically the fact that you're eating is getting deposited in your chest it's area the, it's the hormonal change 
so you are more feminine now because the hormones are more your estrogen is more your testosterone is low and even your secondary sexual character so we have primary sexual characters and we have secondary characters for example the hair pattern the chest hair all these are not in women it's mostly in men mm. so you lose all of that too so if you look at an advanced liver disease patient uh, alcohol user uh, you'll see that they don't have chest hair they don't have underarms hair they don't they don't actually grow a proper beard they can't because it's all patchy and gone and it's more into that feminine place because your their hormones are all male hormone and maleness is all coming down because of alcohol yeah uh, you know other than the fat deposition on the chest area with a lot of guys who don't take care of themselves uh, even when they're young like i've seen teenagers mm-hmm. with this problem you get a bit of an hourglass shaped correct figure yes i don't know the medical term for it's, this it's is. called visceral adiposity or central deposition of fat as in in, in your core area yeah right? core area it becomes like that mm. yeah so even that happens i mean that happens even with even it's not just alcohol but people who are having a sedentary life without any actual physical activity and it mostly is seen in i mean we have a lot of uh, men in the indian community with that kind of a pattern and and this is something as this is part of the metabolic syndrome that i spoke about before where you have uh, you are overweight or obese and your hip to uh, your abdomen to hip ratio is actually skewed and you get that particular uh, pear shaped uh, uh, shape no arguments to be made in terms of exercise and a healthy lifestyle leads to stable testosterone levels yeah no right? arguments no arguments like it's just it's just how it is it just yeah exactly it's physiologically right to say so yeah yeah and from a sex perspective um you know I've, again this is a bit of both evolutionary psychology but um i mean i'm sure there's a medical equivalent of this okay as human beings as men why do we find certain things about women attractive and vice versa why do women find certain physical attributes about men attractive uh so for me in terms of traditionally speaking a fitter guy is always preferred because probably one layer deep on a hormonal level the fitter guy represents a good amount of testosterone versus no, no i mean I'm, not always uh, i mean i mean just your observation or i'm not sure if i have i've not read more about this part uh but then these changes when it comes to a liver disease perspective is definitely a scientific thing okay. you know the masculinity and femininity oh. of it yeah no i'm just exploring thoughts <laughs> but my bottom line point is uh the personal perspective best decision of my life because of energy levels productivity everything 100%, went up 100% uh but i'm never that guy who'll tell someone to stop drinking because i think food all these choices are very personal i'll tell my kids not to drink <laughs> but uh, no i think you can just tell everyone not to drink because it's the right thing to tell i mean whether they take it or not is up to them mm. but you have to always disseminate right information you know that's exactly what i'm doing even with all that you know backlash i'm facing on the side i keep telling the right thing for people to hear you get backlash for saying not to drink of course what's yeah, what's mean, the argument argument is always based on anecdotal evidence and evidence from the past you know i mean i actually had a doctor tell me that don't tell people not to take alcohol because it's actually good for the heart and i said in which uh, era are you living it's because that doctor <laughs> probably drinks probably and and he's feeling guilty now because i'm showing so much of evidence that you know alcohol is actually a poison and they have this confirmation biases and this dogmatic views that they need to actually break now and maybe this is part of it you know they're just coming out like that and telling me not to say say this stuff anymore but i have had doctors come in and tell me you know it's crazy doctors are there advising patients to go and take a little bit of alcohol it's good for your heart <laughs> even now yeah i mean there are these doctors who are this is exactly what i meant by an updated doctor an ed- educationist versus a just a clinical practitioner who thinks and he's 
having these dogmatic traditional views of alcohol that was there many many decades ago i know you we, we need to get updated about this mm. yeah okay so uh, i think we've spoken a lot about alcohol in this alcohol special sir yeah. uh, bottom line is effectively don't drink like that's i mean uh, that's what every sane scientific rationally speaking society in healthcare also says that there is no safe level of alcohol yeah we're going back to the times of our grandparents i feel you know it i, I feel honestly our parents generation which is post independence born uh, had that romanticism with alcohol uh, at yeah. least that's what i grew up with i grew up with a lot of romanticism about alcohol around me like in relatives uh-huh. in like family friends i sense that going away a little bit with people my age not completely like even in my circles i'm one of the few people who doesn't drink Okay. Uh, and it's still looked down upon a little bit <laughs> yeah. but there are ways to bridge that like if you're an interesting is a very like nerdy things to say but if you're an interesting person if uh, your social skills are all right you'll be fine in public situations where you don't have to drink that's just what i feel yeah. um so i mean uh, just to stitch on to that uh about leaving alcohol you know um i think there are now so many things that we can offer people Uh, to leave alcohol i mean the psychiatrist and psychologist support is there as part of the de addiction but uh, i'm not sure if you have heard about this magic bullet drug called ozempic uh, it's actually called as semaglutide which is made by this company called novo nordisk uh, it's recommended for treatment of diabetes uh, in obesity so obese people with diabetes they take this drug as an injection per week or as a small tablet per day it's not available in india it's available only in the gray market it's very expensive one tablet is 350 rupees uh, an injection costs much more there is a huge demand on it because one of the side effects of this drug is weight loss so without exercise without dieting you can lose weight with ozempic which is why it is now recommended by the us fda for patients with diabetes and obesity now once these studies were going on a group of doctors uh, accidentally identified that many of those patients they are patients with diabetes and obesity they are actually not drinking and they were slowly stopping their smoking which was very weird because they did not know what was happening so without any de addiction protocol without people telling them to quit or to stop drinking and smoking they were actually stopping alcohol use and stopping smoking they found out that it was because of ozempic it was because of this drug and this drug has an extra additional effect in the brain in the central nervous system where it makes people averse towards drinking and smoking really fantastic study fantastic observation which is now being tested in a better study to see how of how well or how significantly ozempic use can actually become a part of our uh, treatment in reducing alcohol craving i mean very bad way to compare it but you know when someone gets rabies how they get uh, yeah. yeah like i a, understand uh, yeah they get scared of water yeah so it's it's, it's an aversion so uh, the 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 fear of water is not because they actually fear water it's because their muscles when they see that when they try to drink it will go into a severe spasm and that looks like you know okay. they they are averse to water this is an actual psychological and physiological yeah, they are getting so we now we'll have in the future drugs which can actually reduce your craving and which can actually help improve your metabolic uh, profile also so this is one the second is something that i did from our own work so i do something known as stool transplantation 
I'm not sure if people have heard of it. It gives me a very bad image in mind. I head. know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> But go on, I'm curious. Yeah, it's 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 a very interesting thing. So, uh when we we spoke about alcohol in length, so I would just like to include this particular portion which is known as severe alcoholic or severe alcohol related hepatitis, which is if somebody is drinking heavy amounts of alcohol, you know, apart from developing liver cirrhosis and cancers and all that and other things, there is this particular uh disease condition which is known as alcohol related hepatitis which means sudden amounts of alcohol suddenly causes severe inflammation in the liver and your liver actually start, starts failing in a short term it is associated with very high risk of death within the first 3 months these are this is an emergency in alcohol uh, use uh, disorder and uh, they develop severe jaundice they have fluid Uh, build up in the abdomen. You have to tap fluid out. They develop brain failure. They develop infections. Everything within few weeks, and they they just rapidly die. This is alcoholic hepatitis. Now, with somebody who has alcohol-related hepatitis, we treat them with steroids first. That is, I mean, our our standard medical steroid, not the anabolic one. Standard medical steroids, which is prednisolone, we treat them. Some of them respond, some of them don't. So the ones who don't respond to the treatment will die without a liver transplant. But most of these patients. they are recently drinking alcohol so like i said if you transplant them they might go back to drinking after getting a new liver so transplantation is not possible all the time for this group of patients who don't respond to standard care so what to do with them so what we did was there was two studies from 2015 and 2016 uh, from a spanish group and from a french group which was done on rats in mice uh, not rats in mice where they actually fed the mice alcohol so mice and men mice and humans have this uh, same love for alcohol so if you sensitize a mouse to alcohol and give it a cup of alcohol with water and a cup of water it will always go to the one with alcohol so it has that so it's easy to do alcohol studies on mice so they gave made mice drink alcohol and gave extra alcohol and what they found out was that the mice who developed severe liver disease they had a different gut microbiota profile so the bacteria in their intestines were totally different from the bacteria in the intestines of the mice who did not have liver disease so what the other group did so there were two groups what the other group of researchers did that they started uh, giving the mice who developed this liver disease due to alcohol they actually housed them so they what what they do is they co-house the mice so there are healthy mice and there are these mice with alcohol liver disease with bad bacteria in their gut so they co-house them so what i'm going to say might actually disgust people here but something very peculiar about mice is that they eat each other's feces mm. the stool they eat each other's stool that is what it's, it's not as coprophagia so they they, they actually did that mm. so they what the mice did was the mice with the diseased liver the alcohol related liver disease and bad bacteria they ate the stool of healthy mice so that actually becomes a stool transfer of sort mm. right mm. and the researchers what they found was that when the good bacteria from the healthy mice went into the uh, liver disease mice through that stool transfer their liver disease started reducing, reducing because the bad bacteria were overcome by the good bacteria now in the case of human beings <laughs> i did that first for humans what did you make so in 2017 uh, we devised or we designed a study where we had a group of patients with severe alcohol hepatitis who did not have any other options for treatment 
and we counsel them regarding stool transplantation where we will give them healthy stool suspension through a tube which is put through the nose into their intestine to be clear yeah it's the stool of a healthy person but treated uh, to remove all the infectious stuff yeah so treated to remove all the solid and vegetable matter so it's basically a fresh stool suspension about 100 ml that is given it's liquid it's liquid okay yeah it's liquid and it's it's not easy to prepare i i did this during the first few years of my time in ilbs hospital in my during my this is part of my thesis actually and feces was part of my thesis so <laughs> what, so what we what we did was uh, we put a small uh, feeding tube to the nose to the uh, small intestine that is after the stomach and we fed i mean we gave these patients the fresh stool sample of healthy people and 88% of those people survived without a liver transplant damn that was the first study in the world to show that if you do healthy donor stool transplantation patients with severe alcohol liver disease you can actually improve their survival without the need for a liver transplant and i kept i mean i still do it we have we have the only unit in the world which treats patients actively with stool transplantation in severe alcohol liver disease we still have it so we treat patients on a case by case basis somebody who has no options for transplant severe alcohol liver disease very high chance of dying we do this for them and it's very safe and it's effective and we have found this out through multiple studies done over the last 5 years this is why i love medical podcasts with indian doctors it's like a very chuck the india moment <laughs> but people like the average public doesn't understand the kind of medical work that's happening in our country this is this is, we are the ones who are doing it i mean we are pioneers in it so the whole uh, the transplant protocol is is designed by me and this is followed in pj chandigarh this is followed in uh, hospitals in, uh, uh, in in kerala across the globe even in delhi my protocol is followed so this is the design protocol but what i want to may, uh, what i wanted to convey here is that while we were doing this and while i looked at these patients in the long term who were surviving i found out that people who were on standard care you know medications and de addiction protocols and things like that versus the people who received stool transplantation years before the people who received stool transplantation they were not drinking at all you know they were not on those medications to stop the craving they were not on de addiction protocols they just received stool transplant so i was intrigued and we tested the stool samples before they received the treatment to many many years later receiving treatment and we found out that a special group of bacteria was high after stool transplant and that particular bacteria affected a particular pathway signaling pathway no. in the yeah in the from the gut to the brain that actually made them reduce their alcohol Damn. use so this pathway also is identified which is known as a kinurin pathway this is pure science a kinurin pathway which is actually part of the gut brain axis was affected in patients with severe alcohol use disorder and alcohol hepatitis who received fresh stool samples from healthy people so much that they quit drinking so in the future for people to quit drinking we might have capsules containing this specific good bacteria take it your brain functions will be normalized wow yeah this is going to be a future it's crazy how much we're discovering about the human body right now so yeah, i'm actually a gut microbiome i mean i'm i'm sure a lot of people just keep talking about gut health and all that just like that i mean blowing in the wind but i'm actually a clinical researcher who studies gut microbiome and we have the only unit that studies gut microbiome in alcohol use disorders and alcohol liver disease uh, in india and uh, we are at par with uh, the the kind of research that us and uk universities do
uh while i want to dig much deeper about this exact topic uh we're out of time on today's two podcasts yeah. so that's the only reason i'm stopping this alcohol yeah. conversation especially so uh thank you much needed for me one of the big nudges for stopping drinking was when i heard content creators actually talking about not drinking and for me it was ronaldo like he's my big idol kohli uh, okay. these two yeah, guys yeah, yeah. uh they don't drink and uh, that actually led to you know my final nudge in terms of if my idols are not drinking there must be something in it so uh it's one way of looking at it uh i think content creators generally need to talk about the teetotaling life uh because there's no fun that comes without some kind of price it could be actual money yeah. and you'll have to pay a lot more money going forward if you know exactly. your liver has to be transplanted yes, exactly uh but you do reduce the quality of your life with every drink just know that it is in in my eyes there's no difference between smoking a cigarette and drinking alcohol there's just more narratives on smoking cigarettes exactly exactly any signing off notes sir for this particular episode um i think your signing off signing off is good enough <laughs> okay uh we will be seeing you again very thank soon jokes are heavy thank, thank you. you thank you sir thank you. that was the episode for today ladies and gentlemen this was our two part special with liver doc please let me know what you'd like us to cover the next time he's around uh i really enjoy deep diving with him into the different aspects of medical careers the liver alcohol ayurved all these different topics that we've covered with him already tell me in the comment section what's your feedback what else would you like for us to cover i am 100% sure that we're going to be shooting with the liver doc once again very very soon sending you guys all the love for all the support you've shown on these medical podcasts and what i will say is that we've created an entire playlist all about health all about medical science the ranvi show is going to keep uploading four podcasts every week so keep supporting us consumer hindi podcasts as well we'll be back very very soon thank you for all the support thank you for consuming today's special podcast thank you.